Good morning. Praise the Lord, everybody. I hope everyone remembered to leap forward in time this morning. Two o'clock this morning became three o'clock. Working third shift, that was a beautiful thing. While I enjoy in the season that we fall back an hour to get that extra hour of sleep, some people get frustrated when we leap forward an hour because you lose that extra hour of sleep. But for those of us that work third shift, it turns an eight hour uh, work day into a seven hour work day. And at two, when it just all of a sudden becomes three in the morning, that really feels good. Hallelujah. But we, we thank the Lord for uh, those of you that have been able to join with us this morning. We're excited about the word of God and we just want to spend a little bit of time with you this morning talking to you uh, from the Word of God about um, priorities. But before we get into the Word, I just want to take an opportunity to again thank those that were able to travel with us this uh, past Friday to Praise Temple Community Church here in Columbus, Ohio, where uh, Dr. Sammy Dixon is the pastor. We had a joyous time there, a wonderful time there. It was good to see everybody uh, that was able to make it. And I just want to salute you one more time and just say thank you for uh, coming to support and being a part of the fellowship and um, receiving what God poured out th through us to feed us with something that would empower us to be more who he's called us to be. And I just want to, again, say thank you. Uh, we thank the Lord for those that are in the studio this morning. We salute you. For those that are joining across the world, our friends in uh, Kenya, we thank the Lord for uh, each of you. Uh, we are praying for you. Uh, we know that there are there's a lot of things that you're trying to accomplish, and there's a lot of uh, help that you need, and um, we haven't forgotten about you. We're all moving in the direction to do what we can to support the work there as well as uh, the uh, financial needs. Uh, we're praying to the Lord for a release and um, we're believing that God is going to open a door. So just hang in there, stand in there, uh, and the Lord will uh, make a way for all of us to be able to accomplish the things that he's laid for our hands to do. The Bible declares that he would teach our hands to fight. So we're believing that in this moment, the power of God will be manifest in and through us. We're excited about the, uh, this week coming up as well for the conference uh, in Cleveland, uh, the uh, College of Bishops Conference, and uh, we're looking forward to God moving in a mighty way there. Uh, so let's get into the Word of God this morning. Again, um, we thank the Lord for each of you. I want to talk to you from uh, this sermon uh, topic or this title, you can uh, jot this down because I, I believe that this is something um, that will help you to, you know, trigger remembering uh, in your own mind. It's a little bit of a tongue twister. I had to laugh at the Lord when he gave me uh, this uh, sermon title. It reminded me of uh, Peter picks pickles, peppers, however that saying went, you know, but the title for today is proper priorities produce incredible power. Proper priorities produce incredible power. If you would turn with me in the word of God to the book of Matthew, the sixth chapter, 
and I will read for your hearing the 33rd and the 34th verse. And the word of the Lord declares in Matthew, the sixth chapter, the 33rd through the 34th verse, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And I want to focus today on the 33rd verse. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now take a moment and uh, give your neighbor a high five. If you're driving in the car, keep your hands on the steering wheel and your eyes front. But just open your mouth and say, I know sometimes we don't feel like um, you know, talking to people, but it's a good way to express and to allow your mind to remember the things that God is releasing uh, to us. But the, and this is what we're going to do in heaven is talk to each other. So while you're gazing at your neighbor, I want you to make a prophetic statement over their life. Now notice I didn't say a pathetic statement, but rather a prophetic statement. And I want you to just repeat these words. Proper priorities produce incredible power. It's time to realign. Look at your neighbor and give them that last four words together. It's time to realign. It's important for us to understand who it is that is speaking in this scripture verse. Jesus, if you have a red letter version, uh, it'll be in red letters because it, it's an indication that these are the direct words of Christ when he was in on the earth. He is the one that is making this statement and is talking about priorities. Now, those of you that know me also know I often speak about my wife when I minister, and uh, much to her amazement and sometimes laughter, and sometimes I get that, you know, look that only a wife can give a husband, um, but she's always a part somehow, some way of the messages that God gives me. He allows me to see a lot of things that he reveals to me through our relationship, um, but God blessed me to learn um, a, a lot from my wife. And we were speaking the other day about balance in life. My wife always watches everything that I do. She's like a hawk. She doesn't miss a beat. Uh, sometimes I, th I think she has drones that follow me around the city while I'm working. And it's not because she doesn't trust me. It's because she wants to keep a watchful eye over me to make sure that I'm okay. And I greatly appreciate that extension of love. Now, you've, you may have heard the phrase uh, work-life balance. Well, we were talking about that very thing. And while she did not specifically use the word priority, priority is really the foundation of what balance is. And when things are out of balance, it's because your priorities are not correctly aligned with your goals. Let me say that again for you. When things are kind of chaotic in your life, priorities become important and when things are out of balance it's because the priorities of your life are not correctly aligned with the goals in your life now if we analyze the text that i just read to you this morning we can see that jesus is telling us specifically what it is that we need to put first in our lives now when you think about it 
if we take an honest assessment of our lives, we, we may find that the very things that we do, you know, that we say, uh, you know, are important to us, do not really seem to be a real priority for us. Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And when we look at our own surroundings, our environment, our culture, our society, we will see diminishing values born out of pathetic priorities. Pathetic, not prophetic, but pathetic priorities. Now hear what I'm saying to you today. Values determine priorities. You ought to write that down somewhere. My values determine my priorities. And priorities always determine if we enjoy success or experience failure. Now, when we take a look at the course of this nation, even in this city of Columbus, uh, you know, Ohio, we can see an intense division between ethnicities and even within the same ethnicity, there is much division. There's a massive falling away from God and a push toward the satisfaction of self. It seems as if society as a whole has made a decision that what is important is just that me, myself, and I are happy with whatever it is I'm doing, saying, feeling, uh, or trying to accomplish. And the very values that this nation was once formed upon have begun to erode, and everyone is afraid to take a stand because they're afraid they may offend somebody. Now, the members of GMSC will, you know, uh, tell you that I often say I'm probably going to offend somebody in the sermon, and that's going to be probably true today, and I have no apology to give you, because I want to show you something in the Word of God that may help you um, better develop who you are in Christ and be more uh, effective in your ministry. Now, the principle of his preeminence becomes quite important for us when we are aligning ourselves to the things of God. If we're going to do as Jesus declares and seek ye first the kingdom of God. Now, if you're married, your, your wife or your husband would love to hear you say that the first thing in the morning you think about is them. And while that may sound nice and sound logical and sound like the husband or wifely thing to say, you are actually out of alignment with what God's word declares for us. He gave us a spouse not to take the place of him. He should always be first in our life. So the thing you really want to hear your spouse or your loved one say is that when they arise, in the morning, whatever morning is for them, that the first thoughts on their mind are of God. Because that allows you to understand they are in alignment with the truth of God's word and thus being in alignment, the blessings of God pour out as God dictates according to his word and you reap the benefits of that alignment. Now, I want you to pay very close attention uh, to what uh, Jesus is revealing to us in his word, because this is really a powerful truth. This is the first thing that I believe God wants you to see with your spiritual eye. And that is the preeminence of Christ in your life is what is required. When the Bible declares, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, what do you think it's actually telling you to do? 
Well, Jesus is telling you, you need to make him king in your life. You need to crown Jesus as king in your life. Not with lip service, but with actual heart conversion. My wife shared a quote with me that went something like, uh, we repent enough to be forgiven, but do we surrender enough to be changed? And when you think about it, this is where many are in the body of Christ, satisfied with salvation while still refusing to change behavior. And this is a, a, a direct manifestation of what real priorities exist in the life of believers and alleged believers. Now, if you are truly in the kingdom of God, you need to give the king preeminence in your life. Turn with me in the word to the book of Colossians, the first chapter in the 17th verse. And it says this, and he is before all things and by him all things consist. Now, looking at, excuse me, looking at this text, there isn't really much mystery to this verse. It means that everything is held together by the Lord Jesus Christ. By him all things consist. Now look at verse 18. And he, that is Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Now that right there ought to uh, be the hanging uh, uh, post on your refrigerator. That's what you should have stuck on your mirror when you get up in the bathroom as your motivational uh, text for the day. Because this is one of the most powerful key secrets of a believer's life. That everything hangs on Jesus. And that in all things, Jesus would have preeminence. Now, it only gets better from here. Verse 19 says, For it pleased the Father that in him, that's Jesus, should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Now, there's not one of us uh, sitting here today, standing or driving or whatever it is you're doing, washing dishes while you're listening to me, that has not placed something as first in their life. If I were to poll everybody, now don't get, don't get worried, I'm not going to start sending out emails and asking you, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, what you're doing, or I'm not going to tell you to tell your neighbor, you know, what's first in your life, because some of you may start thinking and go, I can't say that. But I believe the responses would be both varied and include a lot more than just Jesus. Now, let me put it to you this way. In every everyone's life there is a throne upon which someone or something sits now this may come as a shock to you but christ is not sitting on every throne and too often it's you know self that is really occupying the throne of your life now if self is on your throne then christ is still on the cross but if self is on the cross christ is on your throne. Now, God's plan for you is not that Jesus Christ have a place in your life 
we're good at giving him some space as if you know he's a renter who only uh, accesses or has the ability to come into a certain area of our home the body but God's plan for you is not that Jesus Christ have prominence in your life God's plan for you is that Jesus has preeminence in your life. Now, some people think that they're doing good by giving Christ prominence. In other words, he's most of the time, you know, pretty much the lead. But, you know, the one on the throne, though, is still calling the shots. And oftentimes that person on the throne is you. God's plan is that Jesus has preeminence. Remember what the text says, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Now, Colossians 1 and 18 wasn't uh, making a a suggestion. It was a declarative. Now, this is what the Apostle Paul said. And Jesus said, we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, when I was growing up, we did not ask the question why when we were given a command to do something. But since we are living in the why generation where everyone feels like everything has to be explained to the nth degree until they can agree with your explanation, let me give you the reason why Jesus deserves and demands preeminence. First, because of his deity. In verse 18, it says this concerning the Lord Jesus. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead. So Colossians 1 and 18 that makes this declarative to us, I mean, he is the Lord. He is the king. He is God. He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He's not just a great preacher. He's not just a phenomenal teacher. He's not even just a very good entertainer demanding preeminence in your life. It's not some denomination that's requiring preeminence. It is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Second, because of his death. He's God because of his deity and because of his death. He died, the Bible declares, that he might redeem us. Now, if he is God and if he died for us, isn't it reasonable that he ought to have first place in our life? I declare to you myself because of every foul mouth full of spit uh, uh, that they spat in his face by every hair of his head that they ripped from his cheeks by every lash that they laid upon his back by the piercing of that crown of thorns on his head by those hellish nails that they uh, held him to the cross by by every single drop of the blood of the Lamb of God that fell to the ground by the agony and the passion of the Lord Jesus Christ he did deserves preeminence in your life you are not your own you are bought with a price therefore you are to glorify God in your body and your spirit which are God's that's in 1 Corinthians 6 19 through 20 that's the reason that the apostle Paul brought his life into fierce focus and realigned his own priorities Remember, Paul's initial priority was to wipe out the believer. Now, in the Apostle uh, Paul uh, declarative in Philippians, the third chapter in the 13th verse, it says, I count myself not to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, one thing, 
One thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul learned the power of putting Christ first in his life. You ought to look at your neighbor. You ought to jot this down in, in the Facebook quotes. There is power in putting Christ first. The secret of true success in any realm is to bring your life into alignment with what the power of the realm is. Well, if God is the head of all things, then for you to truly enjoy full power is for you to walk in alignment with him. Jesus Christ said, no man can serve two masters, Matthew 6 and 24. James says, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. That's in James 1 and 8. You can check the text. If you want to be successful, you've got to narrow your interests. Let me say that again because some of us are scatterbrained and some of us got so many things going on, we don't know what, what our left is from our right. If you want to be successful, you've got to narrow your interests. I've often said that believers are too much like uh, spiritual uh, attention deficit disorder uh, people because they're looking at like 30 different things and they want to be involved in 30 different things all at the same time and they can't keep their mind focused on just one thing. In your life, someone or something is going to be first. Jesus declares, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That means the king is supreme. People say, don't put all your eggs in one basket. And while that sounds logical and uh, makes like a whole lot of sense, hear me, people of God, put all your eggs in this one basket and watch that basket explode with an abundance that goes beyond your imagination. I'm gonna give you another secret. Concentration is the secret of power in any realm. You ought to jot that down. Concentration is my secret to power in this realm. You take water and you put that water in a channel. It becomes a mighty river. Just spread it out. It becomes stagnant like a swamp. But when you concentrate it into a narrow channel, it becomes a mighty river. Everything no one is left out. Everything ought to come under the heading of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Narrow focus on God. This is the one time in life where you need tunnel vision. This is the one time in life where you need the blinders that they put on the horses to keep the horse uh, attention forward and not distracted by everything that's on the left and on the right. Because when the horse is distracted by the things to the left and to the right, they can't move forward. We need the blinders or the tunnel vision of the Lordship of Christ in our life. He has to have preeminence in our everything. The problem is our perspective has been wrong for far too long. 
We think things like our job or our family should have our full attention. We have to get rest. We, we need recreation. We have to have friends and we have to cultivate those relationships. We got to watch our diet, etc., etc., etc. Now those things you have to do, but why is it that we do these things or have these things? All these things must become the servant of our master's will and goal for our life. Even your vacation ought to make you a better believer to serve the Lord Jesus Christ when you return. That in everything, he would have the preeminence. Oftentimes, we go on vacation and our vacation is to uh, help us to enjoy life and to recover from our work life. Sometimes we go on vacation and work so much on vacation, we need to go back to work to have a vacation from our vacation. This just shows us that things are way out of focus and out of alignment and our priorities are not properly positioned. This also means that there are some things that can stay in your life and there are some things that need to go. You ought to write that down in the, in the Facebook comment section. There's some stuff in my life that needs to go. This also means that there are some people that can stay in your life and there are some people that you need to give an eviction to. Remember what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter uh, and the 12th verse. All things are lawful for me but not all things are expedient. Now, what does the word expedient mean? It's just a big double-jointed word. Think about it. What word do you hear in there? In expedient. Expedition. Well, what is an expedition? An expedition is a trip. Well, what do you do on a trip? You go somewhere. So what the Apostle Paul is saying when he says all things are lawful for me but all things are not expedient is that I have a goal, I'm getting to that goal, I'm on a journey to that goal and if I uh, allow anything to hinder me from my goal even though it might be legal, it might be lawful if she, he, it keeps me from getting to my goal then it's got to go in my life. There are some things that are in our lives that, you know, on their face, it's not a sin. It's not bad in the sense of uh, driving you away from Christ, but they are things in your life that are driving you away from the goal that God has placed in your life. That means that any friend, any pleasure, any sleep, any rest, any job, any ambition, any hobby, anything that keeps me from making Jesus Christ number one in my life has got to go. You ought to look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, some stuff's got to go. You ought to write this down on your Facebook quote uh, section. Some stuff's got to go. You ought to just make a declarative and write this uh, all over your house. Some stuff's got to go. Some of us are just pack rats in life. And some stuff's got to go. Anything, any job, any friend, any love, any hobby, any emotion that pushes me toward Christ. It's the only thing 
that needs to stay. Everything in my life has to serve my master's goal. That is in everything Jesus would have the preeminence. It pleases the Father that in Jesus all fullness should dwell and uh, that you know he should have the preeminence. We are called to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, have you done that? Can you really look at your life and say to yourself, honestly, remember, you may lie to others, but they don't make no sense to lie to yourself. Have you done that? Is Jesus first in your life? Have you come to the place where you have made Jesus Christ absolute, total Lord of your life? Jesus said this. He says, why call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? If you don't believe that he said it, look in the, the book of Luke, the sixth chapter and the 46th verse. The Bible also says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, Acts 16 and 31. Now, if you want to see the power of God manifest in your life, and I hear believers talk about this all the time. They want to see the, the um, manifold uh, power of God manifest in their life in you know, shocking ways and you know, see God do these great things in their life. Well, if that's what you really want, you're going to have to put this that I'm telling you to practice in your life. You see, understanding the preeminence of God and yielding to the preeminence of God are not the same thing. You have to yield to the fact that the king is supreme. That's what Jesus is saying when he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, having done that, how is that going to work out in our practical lives? One of the things that I always try to do when I teach the word of God is make it practical to our current living. How we can apply what God is showing us in his word. When we think of the sovereign demand of his priority, what are the sweeping dimensions of this priority in our existence? Well, let's just see if we can get practical for a minute. If Jesus Christ is number one in my life, if I'm seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, what is that going to mean to me day by day and week by week and month by month and year by year? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me give you a few pointers. Number one, it means that I'm going to give him the first thought of every day. I touched upon this a little earlier when I was talking about the first thing that spouses would love to hear their partner say when they don't really have true understanding of the proper alignment with God is that they would think of them. I will, we need to arise in the morning with heaven on our mind. I love uh, Psalms 5 and verse 3. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning while I direct my prayer under uh, thee and will look up. When you get out of bed, when you open your eyes, the very first thought as you seek first the kingdom of God, the very first thought ought to be your Lord. Rather than letting the alarm clock go off and you roll over and look at it and uh, say to yourself, good Lord. It's morning. 
You ought to be able to look at your alarm clock and say, good morning, Lord, I'm awake. And I'm going to live this day for you. I heard a preacher once uh, give an acronym. That acronym is the uh, word PACE, P-A-C-E. He said, we need to learn to pace ourselves. Now, you ought to look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor you have to pace yourself. You ought to put in your comments uh, on Facebook, you have to pace yourself. Do you know what the P stands for? It declares praise. I wake up, open my eyes, and give God the glory. This we have to do. The A stands for abiding. I say, Lord, I live in you. Lord, live in me. I am in you. You are in me your strength is my strength your peace is my peace your joy is my joy your power is my power this is the power of an abiding presence of Christ and Christ abiding in you access to all that he is praise abiding and the C stands for control not Janet Jackson's control but a control that declares, Lord, I live for you. Whatever you want me to do, whatever it is you need of me today, do it, Lord, through me. You have complete control over my life. We don't need to have a, a fellowship council and discuss and meet out and try to debate and uh, work out an agreement between what I'm willing to do and where I'm willing to go and what I'm willing to say. Lord, you just have control of my life. And the E stands for expectation. I expect you to live in me. I thank you for it. I praise you in advance for it. I prophetically declare in this day, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed in me. That's the pace you ought to live your life. I want to give God the very thought uh, when I roll out of bed in the morning, on my way in to brush my teeth, I'm pacing myself, praising my God, saying, I'm abiding in you. I'm under your control. I expect you to live and show yourself in my life today. God doesn't mind your morning breath. Well, what does this look like in the life of a believer? Or how is it played out? Maybe a better question to ask. Give him the first day of the week. If in all things, Jesus has the preeminence, then he ought to have the first thought of every morning. And then, not only that, but you ought to give him the first day of the week. Do you know what the first day of the week is? Sunday. I'm not afraid to tell you what it's not. It's not the weekend. It's not the day that belongs to the NFL. It's the first day of the week. And it belongs not to Michelob, not to Budweiser, not to Corona, but to Jesus Christ. Acts, the 20th chapter and the 7th verse declares, upon the first day of the week, 
you see, you, you thought I was just making that up. That I just pulled a day out the week and, and, and said this would be a good idea to show that uh, I'm pacing myself properly. No. The Bible tells us to give the first day. Check the text. Acts, the 20th chapter, the 7th verse. I'm making it easy. I'm telling you where it's at. Upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them. 1 Corinthians, the 16th uh, chapter in the second verse declares, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay him in store as God hath prospered him. That is, you are to bring your gifts to God on the first day of the week. We're commanded by the king to come to church and to honor our Lord because he's first. He has the first day of the week. The Bible says in Hebrews, the 10th chapter and the 25th verse, we're, we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the matter of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. As we get closer to the end time, you need more and more and more and more and more to be in the house of God with the people of God to hear the word of God and to exhort one another on the first day of the week. This is not the trend and the, the screams in the church culture. We need to be asking the question, where are you at? Sunday is the Lord's day. We've made it everything else day. We've made it a time for football and baseball and fishing and motor car racing and golf and all the rest of it. Sunday needs to be set aside for Jesus Christ. It's the Lord's day. It's not the Sabbath. When was the Sabbath? The Sabbath, let me teach you, was on Saturday. The day at the end of the week. Sunday is the Lord's day. What's the difference? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm so happy that all of you people on here are so interested in learning the truth of the word of God. The Old Testament uh, Sabbath prophecies were summed up in the Lord Jesus Christ upon the first day of the week. Now, you might be wondering, how is this? Well, upon the first day of the week, Jesus rose from the dead. Upon the first day of the week, he first appeared to his disciples. Upon the first day of the week, the Holy Spirit descended upon the early church. Upon the first day of the week, the apostle Paul preached to them. Upon the first day of the week, they received their offerings. You need to give Jesus Christ preeminence and give him the first thought every day. And you need to give him the first day every week and reserve this this day for the Lord Jesus, the Savior of our soul. It's not honey-do list day. It is the Lord's day. Now, you're giving him the first thought. You give him practical application of the word the first day. You ought to also give him the first fruits of your income. I tell you this third thing. You need to give him the first fruits of your income. Yeah, I know. Old Creflo, he got a revelation. But notice his revelation did not advise him to return all the money back to the people or give up his jet. I digress. I'm sorry. You pray for me. But the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9, honor the Lord 
with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. That doesn't mean after you've paid your grocery bill and after you've paid your car payments, after you've paid your mortgage, and after you've done this, and after you've done that, and after you've done this and that, etc., 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 then you see what you have left to give God. In truth, that's actually a disgrace. Now, I know I'm not describing, you know, anyone that's listening to me today, but maybe you know someone like this. It's, it's for all those other folks not living according to their stated faith. Let me give you an image that you can put into your mind. Suppose you invited me to your house. I'm your pastor, and you, you, you asked me, Pastor, I want you to come over. I want to share with you. I, I, I baked this lovely chocolate cake. And when I pull up to, to your house, because if you invite me over for chocolate cake, um, I might have to sneak over there because my wife doesn't want me to eat that anymore, but um, you know, I'm, I'm coming for the chocolate cake. And I get to your house, envision this. It's fresh out of the oven. I can smell it when I hit your driveway. But you had also invited some other folks over to your house. I didn't know the other folks were coming. I thought you made the chocolate cake for me. And you told me what time to be there. And I was on time. But when I got there, it seems that other folk got an earlier time. And I noticed that when I came into your kitchen, you had given a piece to everybody else that was in the house. And when I looked at the cake plate, there were some crumbs left on the plate with a little bit of icing. And you look at me and you say, sorry, pastor, that's all that's left. Now we're all imagining this image and it should feel like someone is getting the short end of the stick. Or maybe too many other people got too large a piece. We're giving God our leftovers. We're giving God our crumbs. We give this thing and we give this thing and we pay that bill and we pay that bill. You honor God with the first fruits of all your increase. You ought to give your neighbor a high five and tell them, I don't like leftovers and neither does God. You take God's part first, not second, first, not third, first, not fourth, first, not when I feel like I have exhausted all my responsibilities, not after everyone else, but first, seek ye first the kingdom. He is your sovereign Lord. He died for you. There is nothing more important than your recognizing almighty God. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God now you may say well pastor if if I did that I wouldn't have enough money well the reason you don't have enough money is because you don't do what God commanded you to do Jesus said you put me first 
<laughs> I, this is just beautiful the way the word of God, the truth of God works. You, if you put me first, he says, the, the very things that you're seeking after will seek after you. You put me first, all these things shall be added unto you. In other words, if you make me king in your life, if you give me preeminence in your life, I will cause, not me, Bishop, not Jesse, not Roy J, not R.J. Jr., but God will add unto you all these other things. You'll do more with the nine-tenths and God is your partner than you'll ever do with ten-tenths by yourself. The Apostle Paul declared he'd rather be absent from the body and be present with the Lord. Let me just slip to a slide, side note. You often hear people say that Paul said absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's not actually what it says. We have to always remember when we're quoting scripture, we should quote it properly. He was making an analogy. He was making a statement. He'd rather be absent from the body and be present with the Lord. We ought to have that same mentality. I'd rather be homeless and living right in the eyes of Christ than have my mansion now for a season and miss eternity in glory. I can't even fathom this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let me just plant this seed in your life right here real quick. There are three reasons to tithe, and then I'm going to let it go. The lowest reason is if you tithe, you'll prosper. A higher reason is that there's the need of the church for your finance to minister to the lost world. But the highest reason is the honor and glory of your God. There was no other need. Even if you didn't get blessed, you should still give him the first fruits of your income because this is what he calls for us to do. You've given him the first thought. You've given him the first day. You've given him the first of your increase. You ought to give him the first consideration. Watch this. In every decision. You ought to give him that's the Lord, your king, the one that has preeminence in your life, consideration in every decision. I'm going to tell you something. You really need to give God first consideration. You don't make a decision without bringing it to God. Second Corinthians, the eighth chapter and the fifth verse says this. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Now, when you give yourself to the Lord, then everything else is going to flow out of the Lord. Your choice of a job, a vacation, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, whatever it has to be, uh, whatever it is that you're considering, it will be considered in the light of Calvary. Now, many of us want the Lord in our lives, but you know how we want the Lord? We want the Lord as a spare tire. He doesn't want to be your spare tire. Now, I realize I'm growing a spare tire around my midsection, and I don't really want that spare tire either. 
God does not want to be the spare tire of your life. He does not want to be the brake in case of emergency. He's the steering wheel of your life. He's the control center of your life. He's not your emergency kit or your binky. He is number one in your life. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You ought to also give him the first devotion of your heart. You're to give him the first devotion of your heart. You're to love him greater than you love anything or anyone else. You're to love him more than anything or anybody else. Anything you love more, serve more, or fear more than Almighty God has become an idol to you. I've often said and I've shared with people in counseling, some of us have improper soul ties with people because we've elevated that person or that relationship into a place of idolatry in our lives because our relationship with them has become what's preeminent in our life I love my wife but she is not my king she's my wife and comes second after my God who is my king idolatry is what the number one sin is in the body our Lord was frustrated with the church at Ephesus for this very thing he says I tell you what it was they left their first love he says this to the church it was a wonderful church it was a going growing glowing church and he says this in revelations the second chapter in the fourth verse nevertheless i have this against you you have left your first love do you know what that first love was well have you ever been in love or maybe you're in love right now i can remember my real first true love and i married her her name is Stephanie. What an experience that was. I remember the first time I kissed Stephanie. I still tease her to this day about how after I kissed her at her door, she melted by the door after my kiss. Now we were high school sweethearts, but let me tell the truth and shame the devil. Now this is a secret. So, don't tell anybody. It's only for you. I'm talking directly to you. This is a you-to-me conversation, and after this, it will self-destruct. Here's the secret. Chills went up and down my spine. I'll never admit this again, but I even leaped for joy after she shut the door. But you know, this is the truth, not rhetoric. As sure as there's a God in heaven, I love her more today than I've ever loved her. But I tell you why I love her more. I love her more because the honeymoon has truly never ended. After 38 years together, she's more beautiful to me, more pleasing to me than she ever was because I've not lost that first love. Even when she upsets me because I'm right and she's wrong, about stuff I still default back to my first love somebody says the honeymoon is that period of time between I do and you better but listen Jesus says this to the church there's something wrong with you not that you don't love me but you've left that 
glowing, burning, passionate love that you used to have for me? Do you remember how it was when you first got saved? Do you remember how you felt? If you don't love Jesus Christ more today, you love him then less. And if you don't love him more today than you did yesterday, you're living in sin. Every day with Jesus ought to be sweeter than the day before. He deserves, he demands first place in your devotion. Give him the first thought in the morning. Give him the first day of the week. Give him the first fruit of your income. Give him the first consideration in every decision. Give him the first devotion of your heart and of your life. I heard a story once that was told uh, about a preacher who proposed to his wife this way. And I thought that this, this really stayed with me. This was a pretty interesting. You, you see oftentimes people are doing all kinds of crazy things to propose. And, you know, they go all you know, types of places to propose and all this kind of stuff to, to bring impact and drama and, uh, you know, what have you. But I, this I thought was beautiful. He looks at his bride-to-be and he says to her, would you consider being second place in my life? Isn't that beautiful? That, that's just awesome. I love that. Would you consider being second place in my life? Now, I, 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 I hear your puzzled thoughts. You say, I don't want to be second place in anybody's life. But if you're a smart woman... You'll want to be second place in a man's life because any man who loves Jesus Christ supremely will love you in a way that he could never love you in, uh, or anything or anyone else in any other way. This is the difference between finding a wife who you marry and finding a woman who you marry to be your wife. The one and the two are not the same. You want a man like this who keeps God first. He will love you with the love of God and you ought to thank God for a man or a woman that loves you in the power or in the shadow of their love for Jesus Christ more than anything else because we can be knuckleheads at times as my good friend Bill Page would say and it only takes the love of God to stand by us seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness when you do this there's a promise of his preeminence in your life now, what are we saying? We're saying this verse declares, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This means a wholehearted devotion to our Lord. And then it means that there are some practical considerations. And then not only is there that principle and that practice, but then there comes a promise. One of the things I love about God is even though he doesn't have to, he's always looking to bless us. Now, let's look at the promise. Go back and look at it. It's such a powerful promise. Verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. All these things. You ought to just write it down. All these things. Most of us are uh, in the, uh, the, the thing business aren't we if we think about our lives in our prayers most of us are in the thing business our lord says don't worry about the things 
This verse is the key to prosperity. This verse is the key to prosperity. And this verse is the cure for worry. It's the cure for worry. Modern Americans put things first and God second. We are called to worship God, love people, and use things. Most Americans love things, use people, and ignore God. And we wonder why we're in the condition that we're in. But our Lord says, if you will do this, if you will put me first, then I'm going to take care of you. I will turn your nightmares on Elm Street into a sweet lullaby. Do you know what a worrier is? A worrier is a person who has put things first. That's all. A worrier is a person who puts things first. Let's just take a minute and I'm moving towards my close to review what we've been talking about today. Why did our Lord say not to worry? Well, we don't have to worry because worrying is needless. You ought to put that down in the comment section. Worrying is needless. Look into chapter 6 and verse 25 again. Look at it. Just look at it. He says this, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought, that is translated from what means anxious thought, for your life, what you shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? In verse 26, Behold the fowls of the air. For they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. We're in the book of Matthew, the 6th chapter, the 25th and the 26th verse, if you got lost. What our Lord is saying, put it down. Write this down. Worrying is needless. This is what he's telling us. He's asking us a question. He's showing us what we see daily and then asking us if that which is less than you is cared for by God. How much greater is God's care for you whom he's crowned with his very image? Not only is worrying needless, worrying is senseless. If worrying is needless, it is senseless. Go back to verse 26. If God takes care of the birds and the flowers, isn't he going to take care of you? It makes no sense to worry if God has preeminence in your life. He's got you. And not only is it needless and senseless, it is useless. I know no one who has worried where the worry has solved their problem. Worrying has only compounded their problems. Worrying is useless. Verse 27 says, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit to its stature? That means lifespan. 
Can you worry yourself to death? Absolutely. But the real question is, is can you worry yourself alive? The answer is no. Worrying will cause you to head towards death. It will never lead you to life. Not only uh, is worrying all these things that I've declared, it's also faithless. Look, if you will, at verse 30. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you? O ye of little faith. Matthew 6 and 30. Worrying is faithless. Worrying is also excuseless. I, I, love, I love the way God breaks this down in, in his in the scripture, Matthew, the sixth chapter. Go to the 31st and the 32nd verse. Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or whether, wherewithal shall we be clothed? For all of these things do the Gentiles seek. You know what the Gentiles were? They were the pagans. So if God is saying, you the believer now adopted into the family you are now Jew by adoption and he's telling you warriors are Gentiles they are pagans worrying is a pagan ritual because the Bible declares your heavenly father knoweth that ye have need of all these things God already knows what it is that you need and when you seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness all these things shall be added unto you proper perspective produces incredible power proper perspective produces incredible power chew on that this week even as the cow chews and as you begin to digest and regurgitate so that you can chew on the cut of it some more let this become that which you have not just heard but that which you put into practice. God bless you. Have an awesome day, an incredible week, and let God rule in and through you. Amen. Amen. This has been a production of the GMFC Studios. God bless you.